this is a sport that I do. Like, you know, I've done this sport since I was 11, 10 years of age. I've dedicated and sacrificed my whole life to this sport. OTB AM, live weekday mornings from 7.30 on the OTB Sports app. Now then, you're very welcome along. So we'll be looking ahead to the All-Ireland Football semi-finals in the company of Colin Boyle and Darren O'Sullivan once again, together again with us here in Off the Ball. We'll have Gavin Cooney, who was at Leinster House for the afternoon, between Oireachtas committees and dull motions and tubs. It's been the greatest week <laughs> in the lives of most backbenchers in this country. <laughs> <laughs> 53106, the text number. We're at Off the Ball on Twitter. Michael McCarthy here in studio. Hi, Joe. What a time to be alive, they're saying to each other over in Leinster House. <clears throat> Literally putting together their sort of election uh, portfolios oh. for next year is like I, I quizzed the hell at a tuberty. Oh. And then the you, next day you, I had McBennett in. See what I said to McBennett? Did you see? <laughs> oh, yeah. They love that. They cheered, apparently, I heard in the pub when I asked Tubbs that one. Richie McCormack, hello. Having sat through two days back to back of this Doyle committee hearing stuff, uh, I am not voting for anybody in the next elections unless they can guarantee me that they'll shut down Oroctus TV for us never to have to watch it again. It is mind numbing. Absolutely mind numbing. Today was. I guess case in point yesterday was a little bit more simplified because you got two people asking the questions or two people answering the questions pardon me uh, whereas today was a mess an absolute mess I wouldn't say generally I've sat through lots of them but I, I did in my time here at the station working mm-hmm. current affairs show so there, there have been uh, occasions where as a researcher I was told you sit there and watch this committee for the next two three hours and pick out some clips and have it all ready to go and uh, obviously there have been some sports ones in the last couple of years uh, the standard is very 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 poor by comparison is, with yeah. what we see at Westminster where actually there have been you know, some, some really good questioning forensic like it, it generally I'd say across the board there's very little tic-tacking in terms of like we're a joint committee so uh, party allegiances should be left at the door we're, we're working as a committee in some ways so why don't mm. you quiz on that area and I'll quiz on this area and that way no. we sort of work as a team yeah. what they no. like to do is I have my question and I want to be seen on TV no. asking my question so I don't no, care no, no. if you've just repeated your question if I'm repeating your question even, I'm going to ask worse. It. It's a even speech. worse today they had they had four minutes each and as Nick says there the, the opening three minutes of the four minutes that each TD or senator would have would be a statement essentially and I swear to God if there were as many old people in this country as there are apocryphal old people in TD's tales we would have a country that is essentially just uh, an old person's care home because they can't possibly exist in that many numbers it's um, it's a shambles like it's an absolute and people saying that certain games should be free to air just because of David Clifford like there was a I think John Fogarty from the Examiner had a bingo card out earlier on today about things that would be mentioned in this hearing and I'm fairly sure that all of them were ticked off every single one of them multiple times uh, nothing got sorted nothing of consequence really uh, kind of came to light and it was all because of the, the, the circumstances and the you know the, the, like imagine having nine people uh, presenting this segment of the show like not happening three is probably bad enough you <laughs> yeah. don't even need me uh, but like nine ten people in a room at the same time for half an hour you imagine what you're going to get out of that similar in a in a committee room in all seriousness now do you know what it tells me though because I didn't think it was terrible yesterday Joe I thought that maybe there could have been a little bit more joined up thinking and all of that but like that's that's kind of we're past that in the days of you know we're just in this post-political era there's never going to be 
uh, a kind of a common good sense again I would say but I think they were very very well prepared and could they have been better? Absolutely. Today is an example, I think, of how mo- how little sport matters to the body politic in this country and how much, you know, it is <clears throat> an opportunity for easy point scoring and grandstanding. So the people who are making, using three minutes of their four minutes to make a speech and to talk about hypocritical old men who can't see matches and David Clifford and how great, how important sport is and all. Now, I'm not saying this, this is the case for everybody, but from what I've always seen in this regard, it is nothing more than a rallying call politically. There's no actual solutions because it's not high up in their agenda. It's not important to them. They haven't done the work that they did yesterday. And for all the, just because the whole country was watching yesterday didn't make that more important. That was a celebrity hearing yesterday. It wasn't actually that important at all, really. No. It's probably the least important of all of the RTE hearings that have been happening over the last two weeks, mm. really. It was just a witness almost, mm. you know? Whereas today, um, there's an awful lot of important matters, not bigger than the housing crisis or, you know, the National Maternity Hospital or anything like that, but important matters to the world of sport. And they weren't prepared for it because they don't care. And that's just always been my opinion on the way, the way uh, sport is treated by politics in this country. On the grandstanding thing, there was one particular TD who was questioning the representatives in TG Carher there today and was putting it to them who have been screening the Women's National League, Women's Premier Division as it is now for the last season and a bit or more, uh, that they should screen women's football from this country, domestic women's football. And they they had to, you know, pretty sheepishly put it back to them, well, we actually are doing that. Like there's a <laughs> there's a real lack of research in these things from these TDs and senators that is like in any other sphere would be shameful lack of preparedness. And yet there they are quizzing our, our greatest and brightest in the heads of uh, sporting associations and media companies. And they haven't a Danny LaRue where they're going with any of their questioning. It's It's ridiculous. Do you remember the one a couple of years ago where the three heads of GA mm. football, Delaney mm. and IRFU all were there and yeah. like Delaney headed off halfway through, he had something to do, so they were like, oh, no worries. <laughs> I think at one stage someone asked him like, will we get more tickets? Will we get like be a few tickets in for us if we host the Euros? <laughs> and this wasn't too far oh, no. before... John was in there with his uh, lawyer not answering questions yes. on advice from counsel. Softer questions so, that first day. Yeah, it did, it did quite expose um, how ill-prepared everybody was. Yeah, I would say, and this is obviously, comes with a health warning, it's just one of those cheap opinions that you throw out there. So we're better to do it than national radio. But I dare say the standard is probably <laughs> unprepared most of the time and we just don't see it because who's tuning into a Rockstar TV that, sorry I was that that's my opinion exactly and again maybe that's not fair but and and it's certainly not the case for everybody and I I think you do see some people who are incredibly on top of a lot of briefs they have a lot to be on top of yeah. um, but I would say a lot of things I think sport is where we see it every six months and we see how bad it is and then you think to yourself this must be the case with Everything. A, a majority. Yeah, because there, yeah. there were exceptions. I remember like Catherine Murphy stood out a mile in one particular Octus um, hearing with the FBI. A few years ago, yeah, yeah. There was a reason, I suppose. Uh, Frankie Galway says, why are they so constrained by time? What's the rush? I guess everyone wants their say and then the answers go on and 
they have to try and keep things moving to a point, I suppose, Frank. But there is, yeah, a real sense of clock. Quite a, not an easy thing, but very possible to filibuster if you were that way inclined. I mean, one of the, I don't know, I haven't seen John Fogarty's bingo card, but I mean, if the phrase, now keep it short, please, deputy, isn't on it, then <laughs> we're just not trying. Uh, a great after day of what amounted to rubbish TV that we're now talking about it on the radio. <laughs> please, just give me sport, Yay. lads. We will give you sport. So, <clears throat> in particular, Colin Ball, Darren Sullivan, will be talking about the uh, football weekend upon us. Kind of a curious atmosphere ahead of a football semi-finals mm-hmm. in that... Speaking as neutrals, we know where the four counties are and their fans are, but as neutrals, you kind of cheer on underdogs in a lot of these games. And I think the country is a real soft spot for Monaghan in particular. And yet my sense is most people really don't expect a shock, aren't massively looking forward to them and are probably happy enough for Dublin and Kerry. They'll just take the penance, uh, the purgatory of like a semi-final weekend, get it yeah. done, to get a Dublin Kerry final, which is not really how you want to sell it. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. But I I think there's an element of, if you're from Monaghan at this stage, you've been through the quarterfinal, semifinal ringer. You've been good for 15 15 years at this stage, if not longer, right? Kind of 2007, the first time I remember Monaghan really making a huge impact and almost beating Kerry that time. And that's a long time to never get over that line and never make it to the All-Ireland final. And I think that at this stage, they're probably at a point where it was like, this has to be the year, you know, it's Conor McManus is getting older, Carl O'Connell's getting older, etc. But from a neutral's point of view, I think there is a understandable assumption from our point of view, having seen Monaghan, that this is the level that they can reach. Like this is this is them Ceiling. achieving their potential. Yeah. And it's fantastic. Yeah. But that like we can't see them beating Dublin in Crow Park in an all Ireland semi final. And for that there is something kind of anticlimactic about yes, it in, yeah. in advance you know I think Derry Kerry is, is is not in that boat at all I still think there's a huge amount of improvement in Derry and there's like the experience they're getting over the last couple of years you don't know when that's going to click on a day like that in Crow Park and Kerry have been seen to be vulnerable at times this year times. obviously not the last day Yeah. Uh, so I think that could be interesting it might not be the greatest football in the world but I think that's okay at this time of year Okay. I think at this time of year in a, in a almost full Crow Park with the tension yeah. I think the style of football becomes less important Colin Boyle and Darren O'Sullivan are with us after 9 o'clock Jeff Shackelford a brilliant golf journalist is with us after 8 he'll tell us what's been happening over at this live PGA Tour uh, Senate hearing hearings we'll, in another country yeah. that's we'll, what we'll compare <laughs> Rock to committee hearings with Senate hearings and see what Jeff makes of them and uh, Gam Coon he was at Leinster House for the day will uh, join us in studio half past 7 we'll play a few clips and bring you up to speed on everything that, that happened today because it was a two pronged situation this afternoon at Leinster House there was the Oireachtas Committee on the future of sports broadcasting in the country and so GEA Go in particular was up for discussion Jonathan Hill was there talking on behalf of the FAI but also on the floor of Leinster House in the Dáil Aidan O'Riordan and Labour tabled a motion looking for far more funding for soccer, football in this country so there was plenty going on on the sporting front today we should get into the news round so disappointment last night for Rovers in Europe Rich and we have St Pat's this evening 
Yeah, they are approaching half time in Luxembourg in the first qualifying round of the Conference League. It's uh, Dudelange 1, St. Pat's 0. Uga Sista van Lingen with that goal uh, for the Luxembourg side on 24 minutes. As I say, uh, what, three minutes to go to the break in that one. Uh, Shamrock Rovers, meanwhile, will have to score away from home in Europe for the first time in five games if they're to reach the second qualifying round of the Champions League. Stephen Bradley's side went down 1-0 at home to Icelandic champs Bradebrick last night. Speaking to Ashling after the game, Rovers defender Roberto Lopez felt they deserved a draw um, yeah probably um, I suppose if look they got their goal we've had to maybe keep the clean sheet it's probably more deserving um, but I think we can be more ruthless in the in the final tour maybe create a bit more chances um, but look we learned from tonight um, still 90 minutes to play for and I think we'll, we'll re-watch the video we'll tweak a few things and uh, we'll be ready to really cause problems over there yeah, you're really positive going into the second leg. So was Stephen when he spoke to us as well. I suppose there's no other way to be, but it is tough to go into a second leg away from home. You know, a goal down. Yeah, absolutely. Look, but we've been in this position before. Um, we know what it requires. It's, it's the same as anything. It's half time. You're one nil down. You don't just sort of shake hands with your pounds and say, right, that's it. We're done. We have to be ready, and we have to be ready to win this tie because we want to continue into the next round. And mm-hmm. um, this is what we worked so hard last year, and, and all the years coming is to be be at this level and play at this level. And we're not going to give it up for for nothing. Richie, I found it interesting that uh, Bradley mm-hmm. after the match last night said, I think it was on Nashling as well, said that yep. like you know that the, they were too conservative in the first half as if this was a kind of a, the players went out and you know didn't take chances and it's like yeah. seems to me that you flagged it last night we flagged it <laughs> out in the office as well that they were basically playing with like seven defenders and yeah. e- every uh, indication was that they were going to go out and play too conservatively so it just feels strange when you hear the manager kind of saying it as if like I can't believe it we went out conservatively in effect, they played a 3-6-1 last night, um, which is like they're playing at home against Icelandic opposition who are, you know, granted part-timers. That might necessarily mean much in the current football landscape and at this point in the competition. But with the squad the Shamrock Rovers have and the attacking talents that they do possess, uh, most of which did start on the bench last night, they should be beating a side like that at home. Over the two legs, who knows? But certainly on their own patch, Rovers should be on the front foot more to try and win a game like that and it, it's been like to be honest with you it's happened far too often they're having trouble conceding domestically in the past couple of games as well uh, that game in Drogheda the most recent case of which um, and I like, I don't know why there's every reason to let that team loose and they could play sparkling attacking football they could have two up top and have Jack Byrne pulling the strings in behind or maybe even a Richie Tell and more often than not we get what we saw last night and last night was last night's result was basically the worst case scenario um, they haven't scored away from home in Europe as I mentioned in four games and it's going to be very difficult to do it on a plastic pitch just say the Reykjavik Katie McKay went over on her ankle last week against France the news is good though from Australia today yeah, Republic of Ireland manager Vera Pau says Katie McCabe is fully fit ahead of their final World Cup warm-up friendly. The captain, as you mentioned there, Joe, injured her ankle in last week's loss to France. But Pau's confirmed that McCabe is training fully ahead of Friday's behind-closed-doors game with Colombia in Brisbane. It's going to be two different uh, 11 asides in that one for Ireland. And the manager was also asked about lessons she'd brought into this tournament and highlighted the work of periodisation coach Raymond Verhane. 
the key thing for me is that I trust on the periodization method. I trust because the Netherlands has showed that from a team that was uh, that was vulnerable in the second half to a team uh, that was actually called the fittest. With uh, South Africa, we had to travel uh, during the Olympic Games uh, uh, to tropic areas with uh, in, in three groups, arriving five o'clock in the morning and still being able to put pressure on Brazil in the 91st minute. Uh, so that is what I take from the preparations with the other teams. Yeah, she's had a long uh, standing relationship with Raymond Verheyen and puts a lot of trust in him. And they'll need to be in good nick because looking at the, I saw a graphic of the collective travel arrangements, Ireland have a real dud deal in this group. They're here, they're over to Perth on the West Coast and they're back there. Mm. Eight, nine thousand K in the space of eight, nine days as well as the three games, whereas naturally enough, homeside Australia are far more. We're just going to hang here on the uh, East Coast and yeah. do our bits. So I, it's a tough schedule for the Irish team. Ah, yeah, no, it is. It is. It really is. Tough schedule, tough group. There's a lot working against them in fairness, yeah. you know. Come here, is this Raymond Verheyen who used to come on the show to give out about Arsene Wenger all the time? Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I've One and only. This entire story. <laughs> yeah. He was a regular at Off the Ball back in the day. Got, yeah, he used to get, he used to just constantly kind of like want to give out about Arsenal Menger, wasn't it? And his methods at Arsenal. And more recently, he was he was he was always going on about Jurgen Klopp as well, and the the spate of I remember there's a string of knee injuries uh, not long after Klopp took over. Like Danny Ings is obviously the one that stood out, but he mentioned that well, this is what happens uh, a lot of the time. He was the I told you so guy as regards training on Twitter for a long, long time. I somehow miss that he's now involved in Irish football. <laughs> Yeah, no, big time. Well, I mean, unofficially, I suppose, yeah. through Pau. But um, I, where I first came across him was maybe 10, 12 years ago when Craig Bellamy, of all people. And I don't think Be- Bellamy was probably not wrong about this, mm. but he was looking at name a slow plodding defender. I'd rather not. It's hard when you're in the spot. Gary Pallister. Right, there you go. I was going to say there Martin Keown. Slightly no, different generation. unfair, yeah. yeah. Yeah, okay. But Bellamy was in training and saying... Sorry, I'm this super fast, fast twitch muscle machine. Why am I doing laps of the field plodding around like Pallister over there? I should be doing different training, surely. Mm. And uh, kicked up a real fuss about it. Was probably quite correct in that. And he enlisted for Hines help personally. That's where I first remember okay. hearing him in a big way. But uh, I'm, sure we'll, I'm sure we'll get him off the ball easy enough again. Yeah, yeah. Why not? Talk to him. Now that he's back in the limelight. Sure is. So, uh, Rich, I mentioned the Oroctus hearings today. So Tom Ryan was there, GA Director General, amongst others. Yeah, and the GPA has welcomed the view of GA Director General Tom Ryan on the protests engulfing the women's codes. Women's footballers and camogie players will not be engaging with official media duties for the remainder of their All-Ireland Championships. They've stepped up their protest as they seek the implementation of a female squad charter. The GPA said today they will organise their own media engagements. Ryan was asked by Sinn Féin TD Chris Andrews at that Oroctus hearing about the GEA's role in the ongoing impasse. As an organisation, we absolutely ascribe to the idea that certain standards are required and are deserved of all players. So what are you As doing to, to, sorry for interrupting you, so what are you doing to ensure that female, get, female participants get equality? Well, the first thing that's worth noting and it's important to note, as things stand at the moment, we don't govern those two sports. Now, we support them. But we, we, you use women uh, footballers and camogie players to sell your tickets. We don't govern those sports, Deputy. So what we, what we are doing You can't is wash your hands of it, though, surely. 
it's, well, we're here, and I know we'll be talking about governance as a topic, yeah. and it's very clear that there are two governing bodies who do take responsibility for those, those games. I don't think it would be proper on our part for us to intervene and to usurp the, their authority. So what we are is, we're, we're in the background, we support those two organisations in all manner of ways, and I'd like to think that they would acknowledge and accept that, and if and when those organisations call upon us to play a role, we will do so. So they haven't asked you to intervene yet? In, in fact, quite the opposite. They, the two organisations are dealing with this issue in their own And the GPA haven't asked you to intervene? The GPA have asked us to intervene, right, yeah. but in actual fact what we've done, Deputy, is what we've said is, look, we're there to support Gaelic sports of all codes. We support the two organisations that govern ladies football and camogie, but ladies football and camogie themselves are the primary organisations who are charged with that responsibility. It's very interesting clip, actually. Uh, sheds new light in the situation. It's quite reasonable in fairness to Tom Ryan, if the Ladies Gaelic Football Association and the Camogie Association are, in his words, quite the opposite um, to asking the GEA to intervene, mm. then clearly they can't. If they're saying, let us handle this for the time being, the GEA can't just say, no, 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 step aside, we're going to intervene. I kind of disagree. I think that they can, like, they're again in a, in a thing where democratically we've all agreed, or, you know, Gaelic players and Gaelic uh, uh, the, the three organisations have agreed to come under the GEA umbrella in time. It will take a long time. There's a lot of work to do. I think the GEA are well within their rights as the assuming authority to at least strong arm a little bit, at least to play a part, at least to have some influence in there and to be at least a heavy-handed suggester as part of this scenario. Now, So I do understand that ultimately the, the authority and the decision-making for the time being will come down to the Camogie Association and the LGFA. But to suggest that the GEA are just like hands up we can't do anything about this I think is I, I, I don't I feel that that's the case I think the um, interesting next question there would have been if the Camogie Association and the LGFA do ask you to intervene and do say financially through fundraising or through government grants we can't actually meet the cost will you help us meet the cost what would your answer be mm. that's the key question and obviously it wasn't asked and, and maybe that's the key question that needs to be asked the GA. But I do understand Tom Wright, like you don't know personalities here, Mick. You might be really putting noses out of joint to just march in there and say, Here, listen, Camogie, LGFA, the men are here. You step aside, we're gonna sort out your funding. You really like you could actually you damage don't, relations. But I, I you know? just think that I mean again, I'm I'm almost thinking of like politically there that that is just the way of the world. That the bigger organization that is coming in to take over and has been given that mandate. They have to have a say. You can't just wait until the day that the, they hand over the keys. You know, like they have to have a say in the transition. So, look, I understand what you're saying. And look, I mean, I, I, I think it's complicated for sure. But I, I just think that it's not as simple as nothing to do with us, lads. Um, I don't understand why the LGFA and the Camogie Association wouldn't ask. Well, that's they can't afford to do yeah. what the players are looking for. It's just yeah. impossible. So the GA are the only answer. So... I, it's confusing to me yeah, that they haven't been asked. It's kind of interesting when you get these Oireachtas committees and you get information that mm. you really need. You yeah, know? exactly. Like I, we, I've been wondering about the dynamics for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I, I think on the back of that, it's very reasonable to ask the Camogie Association and the LGFA what's the resistance in actually saying to the GA, yeah, we, we would take the funding now. Yeah. Because the GPA for sure want it. The players want it. But if the two associations, the governing associations, are saying to the GA, no, you guys stay put, we're handling this then I think that's that. I think you have to 
know, right. they're the governing bodies. You know, yeah, you yeah, yeah. Ultimately, it will come down to that. But again, I do think there's influencing that is legitimate and fair at this stage yeah, of yeah. the process. No, sure, yeah. sure, sure, sure. So um, we'll see how that all develops. We have obviously a World Cup under twenty <laughs> final, very much on the horizon. Friday. Yeah, yeah. Richard, Richie Murphy has made one change to his Ireland starting team for that World Under-20 Championship final with France. James McNabney returns from suspension to start at blindside flanker. Dermot Mangan slots into the second row alongside Conor O'Tierney with Charlie Irvin dropping to the bench. France are unchanged from their convincing semi-final win over England, but have moved away from a 6-2 split on the bench. They've gone for the conventional. Yeah, I'm right in saying Friday, haven't I? Yeah, Friday, 6 o'clock. Yeah. Friday, yeah. Strange time. It is, it is, yeah. I suppose it's... What's that South African time? I don't know. Yeah, it is. I just mean the Friday aspect. It's a strange day for Saturday. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Why not just hang on the extra day and put it on the weekend for sure? I don't know. Let us win the World Cup on Saturday. They've got the whole weekend to celebrate. Say again, Rich? The the, the rugby championship, I'd imagine, adds to Ah, fair enough. That's a a very good reason. Actually, that makes perfect sense. I retract my uh, comment there. So, (laughs) (laughs) Wimbledon then, Richie, is uh, progressing. Yeah, there's going to be a new name on the Venus Rosewater dish on Saturday. Uh, defending women's champion Elena Rabakina lost her quarterfinal in three sets to last year's beaten finalist Ange Jabeur. The Tunisian is going to play Arena Sabalenka in those semi-finals. The second seed beat Madison Keys 6-2, 6-4 this afternoon. Daniel Medvedev came from 2-1 down to beat the world number 43 Chris Eubanks in five sets in their quarterfinal, ending the Americans' fairy tale run. The third seed will play top seed Carlos Alcaraz in those semis. The Spaniard beat sixth seed Holger Runa in straight sets this season. Evening. You were telling me, I think Pete has the clip, charming Wimbledon <clears throat> interview alert. This is, this is a guy we obviously mentioned, Chris Eubanks, and like, I mean, he was in a tiebreaker in the fourth set to win the match. You know, he was 2 1 up the tiebreaker. Like, Medvedev was just so, he's just killer instinct in the fourth and fifth set in the end, but like, he was so close, you know. And this is a guy who's like nowhere near this level and was just on a show that Richie actually came across it. Um, uh, he was on a show on YouTube, like, before he went over to the UK talking about like what his dream would be. And it's not to like win the tournament, it's just to kind of make it this far. I would love to have a second week run at Wimbledon or US Open. I've never played main draw Wimbledon, so we'll see what that's like when I go. But just the, it, I think it could be very, and then to be able to tell people that don't know tennis, oh, I quartered Wimbledon. Like, granted, yeah, it's not Serena, it's not like I got seven of them, but it's like, damn, you quartered Wimbledon. Like, it's a different level of respect when you're like, well, I quartered the French Open. Oh, that's cool, that's nice. I quarter, I quarter Australian Open. Oh, that's, that's dope. That's dope. But then it's like, nah, I quarter Wimbledon. Like, you know the, the Wimbledon? Did you, the, the movie? The bad tennis movie? Wimbledon? Yeah, you know Wimbledon. Like, that would be like my thing. So if I could be 20 or have a deep run into Wimbledon the U.S. Open, I don't want to say I'd be satisfied, but I'd be pretty happy. I would love to have a second week run at Wimbledon the U.S. Open. I've never played main draw Wimbledon, so we'll see what that's like when I go. But just the... It, I think it could be very... And then to be able to tell people that don't know tennis, oh, I quarter Wimbledon. Like granted, yeah, it's not to be fair to him, he wasn't repeating himself endlessly there. <laughs> the awesome. audio seemed to loop. <laughs> he hasn't lost yeah. his mind. <laughs> <clears throat> Just to point that out, because I was yeah. losing my love for him as it went on the no, second no, time. Yeah. Why, like, are you, Dude, why are you going back to starting to really laboring the point here? No, I love it. It's just so it's um, nice. He's it's twenty. What? He's only two, he's twenty-seven. So previous 27. to this second round Australian Open this year, so he's obviously he's having his yeah. best year. First round French Open dumped out. U.S. Open last year, he got to the second round, and he was a very much a a qualifier for Wimbledon and is now quarter finalist made mm. the quarters only, 
only cracked the top 100 this year only cracked the top 50 in uh, March or April I think it was April actually I'm open to correction on that but yeah like he's he's been a hitting partner before he was more so a uh, a commentator talking head on the tennis channel like it, it's a proper fairy tale uh, and we have to be yeah, it's probably yeah, we have to it be wary about obviously fairy tale stories but it's like nice. it's it's remarkable that that at that age as um, and you know I was listening to the commentators on BBC saying it today uh, like people mature at different ages uh, tennis players do um, so maybe 27 was just his age uh, but a lot like he plays a beautiful style of tennis as well to watch him it's really languid and really um, laid back and looks like he's enjoying it while he's playing um, so fingers crossed yeah. that's not the last we hear of him like, you notice his uh, drive-by on the Wimbledon movie as well starring Paul Bettany yeah yeah, yeah it was <laughs> a terrible tennis movie the thing I was going to say though is like that for me now that is like there's the person whose li- lifelong dream is to win Wimbledon who's been in a tennis academy since they were seven and they're you know this regimented robotic life to get there and there's something great about that as well and that's like personal achievement but for me what sport is is this guy kind of like you know battling his whole life and at 27 making a quarter final and that's his dream to get to the second week of Wimbledon yeah and then getting the five sets against one of the, the best players in the world, Medvedev, and like literally just running out of steam in the fifth set, like but being there in a tie break to no, win it. Good. Like he's, it was, he, he did himself proud when he got there as well then, I suppose is my point. Yeah. Ronan Inkledare. Ronan, you're so right. I kicked myself when I said this. Gary Pallister was the fastest player in the United <laughs> back four back in the day. Love the show. He Steve was de- Howie. Deceptively fast. I should have went for Brucey. Uh, I think Bruce, Steve yeah. Howie had a bit of legs to him as well, to be fair. Uh, Done Pallister a disservice there. Yeah. Who would have played with Bellamy? Steve Bruce. Oh, yeah, I said Bruce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Sil- Sylvan Distan wasn't necessarily the most pacey, was he? When he was at Man City together. No, them. it's just so random, though. Uh, uh, Stefan Ocho. We gotta go. We gotta go. <laughs> Richie, thank you. Stefan Ocho. Can we not just sit here and name centre half? No. Joe? Come on, let's no. go. Gav Dooney <laughs> is here in a suit, by the way. Don't delay him any longer. Don't worry. That's my first question to Gav. <laughs> Mick, thank you. Thank you.